It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. It's a big week for sports with four leagues playing in the midst of coronavirus. And Las Vegas is home to five professional teams. The Raiders, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Las Vegas Aviators, the Las Vegas Aces, and the Las Vegas Lights. And my guest is the perfect reporter to discuss this unusual situation and all other matter of sports in Las Vegas. He's veteran journalist Ron Futrell, who has been covering sports in Las Vegas for many years and has reported on the growth and challenges for both college and professional sports here. He currently reports for KLAS-TV, and you can follow Ron on Twitter at Ron Futrell. And Ron, welcome back to the show. Hi, Ron. What a pleasure it is. I always enjoy doing this show with you, talking sports and Vegas, two things that are sort of fun. Exactly. And one of the two things I'm an expert on, you're an expert on both of those things. <laughs> now, which one am I, I an expert on, Ron? Is it sports? I, uh... <laughs> I defer Vegas to you, okay? As the king of all media in Las Vegas, I'll put you up there. <laughs> Thank so you. That, uh, yeah, I can't drive by these hotels in Las Vegas and not smile and go, ah, Ira, have some memories with Ira here and there and everywhere. Yeah, it was a fun ride, indeed. Well, you yeah. have been busy consistently, which is why I always like to have you on, and you were last on, I believe, in January. And we talked about a bunch of stuff, but this was way before coronavirus. So now we've got that hitting us. And at the same time, we have, as I mentioned, four leagues going to be playing in the midst of it all. How do you handle that as a reporter? How do you see it as a reporter? Oh, it's been a, it's been a whole different world in the sense that access has been limited, first of all, because they try to keep as many people away from the athletes as possible. We get that. I mean, the night, let's go back to March 12th when it all hit. I think it was um, Dr. Fauci on March 11th gave the warning to sports leagues. And then by March the next day, uh, there, were, there were a couple of positives in the NBA and the NHL then shut down. The NBA had shut down and, and everything else had hit the skids. Baseball was just, um, oh, we had what was nice. Is we got in a couple of preseason games here in Vegas out at the new ballpark, Las Vegas ballpark, big league weekend. We got to have at least one big league weekend out here. And I remember going out there with all the fans and feeling good. And, you know, you've heard a little bit about uh, the, the COVID-19 coronavirus, but it wasn't on a lot of people's minds until a week or two later. And then it all, all shut down. And I feel horrible for what it's done for minor league baseball and the fact that they are not having a season this year. So we lost the minor leagues, which really hurt. The Las Vegas ballpark in its second year with the Aviators here. And Don Logan, Jim Jim, everybody that's done the great job that they've done out there with the ballpark. Okay, so that that happened. Major, now we have Major League Baseball back. NFL is coming back next week. We've got uh, hockey happening, NBA. Bottom line when it comes to sports is these leagues need to fulfill their TV contract. So all they really need is a stage to do that. So right. picture it like that, a show on a stage. And so you, you look at what the NHL is doing, and that's a stage that they've got set in two, two of them, one in Edmonton, one in Toronto, and they have the teams play on that stage. Orlando for the NBA. It's basically a stage without fans, 
and they're fulfilling their TV contract. Now, they're not making the money off the, the $12 hot dogs and $24 beers. Right. I, might be <laughs> I might be exaggerating a little bit on the price. <laughs> not really. <laughs> maybe not. And, and, the, and, and the ticket sales and that. And, and that's, that is a factor. I'm not discounting that as nothing. That is a factor. But what they wanted to at least be able to do is fulfill all of those TV contracts. That's why the NFL wants to play so badly is they, they and they're the they're, they're they're the mountaintop of the four major sports here in this country so they they want to be able to get their tv contracts fulfilled minor league baseball what happened with that is they don't have a tv contract so it would be it would be silly meaningless almost for the guys to go out there and play in an empty stadium because they do need the hot dogs concessions ticket sales merchandise sales that's how the aviators of minor league sports survive. So that, that, that was sort of, you could see that coming when it all shut down and that was unfortunate, but it is what it is. Okay. And we've got what we've got now and, and hopefully we'll be able to, some stadiums are talking about even having fans in the state, a few fans limited. Right. Miami is right. one of them. They're looking at 25% of the fans there. So the Raiders have, have already said here in Las Vegas that they are not going to have fans in the stands at Allegiant Stadium, which is a shame. I mean, you got this nice, beautiful new stadium. Just built, just finished. Yes, yeah. and and it'll it'll be a stage for for the performers, for the athletes. But it's it's too bad it won't have that element to it. But it is what it is right now, and and some of these things are out of our control. When I say our control, you and me, right? Uh, because there's a lot of people above our pay grade. Oh, way way above, stage. yeah. What about the, the I, I just came up with a semi-brilliant idea, which I stole from another situation, but what it is, why don't the, for example, the Raiders and the Vegas Golden Knights and others sell to their, especially their season ticket holders, they sell them, they, the fans will send in cutouts of themselves and they put them in all the seats. So they, they charge the fans for money to put the cutouts in the seat. So the, play, the team looks like their team looks out and sees what appears to be fans, but they're just cut out photos of the fans. And they make revenue from these fans paying to have the cutouts on the seats. Well, and that's what baseball has done. Baseball has done that because they are playing in their home stadiums. So they put the cutouts out there and they've taken the money and put it. I think the Dodgers were one of the first teams yes, to do it. Yes, the Dodgers were, and, right. That's where I stole the idea from, exactly. Yes, and they, and they put their money towards the foundation. So it goes to charity. Excellent. Okay, so good. So it costs you 120 bucks to put your a cutout there of you, your dog, your friend, your neighbor, whatever, or a panda bear uh, that, that you have in your house, uh, whatever you want to put in there, within reason, you can do it, and you pay money, and it goes to the foundation. Now, the reason that wouldn't work with hockey is because they already have the stage set up, and they've got all the seats covered. They have right. covered with a large tarp. But they could. I mean, if they would have to, if you're going to have home fans, they would have to take them out and put them back in, and that would be sort of that would be sort of silly. Um, but but even if you got to have but maybe for the final, it would be a good idea, you know, to be able to do something like that, because then it's going to be in a specific location, uh, either Edmonton or Toronto is the plan. And you can do that. So I, I don't know what the NHL is planning on doing and where they're going. I've not heard any football teams talking about doing the cutouts. It has been sort of funny, Ira. To, to see some of the cutouts get plastered by foul balls. That's happened a few times in baseball, and they show the replay over and over again. It was a guy from Henderson who got 
pounded. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he runs. He runs a club, a bar, uh, a restaurant downtown. And I'm sorry, I forget his name right now. But in, uh, on Water Street in Henderson, he's been a longtime athletics fan, A's fan in Oakland, and his cutout got plastered. And he, he won a prize for it. We got, got some money for it. Well, I think uh, what the team should do, Ron, is send that, that plastered cutout back to the fan. And then, and then the fan would frame it, put it up on, at the bar or wherever, you know, whoever has it smashed as a kind of a badge of honor. I know they're sending him something to Water Street. So, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I feel bad for not knowing all the details. No, that's okay. But why don't they just send the, the smashed cutout? I think people yeah, would want it back. Yeah, yeah. With, a, with, a, with a baseball through it. Right. I'm sitting here with my Ron Futrell cutout, even though I'm talking to you and you're not really here, but I have your cutout next you to still, me. You still have that, Yes, huh? of course. I have your to. Your wife told me she was sort of worried about you. <laughs> but if you still have it, don't tell her. She's been worried about me for years. Uh, yeah, Gina's been worried about me for years. So that's no new, <laughs> That's not news for most people. <laughs> but I just but think... See, let's go here. I mean, the last time I saw you was at a Knights game. In right. person, you know, right. exactly. The night game was there, you know, hanging out, enjoying, enjoying hockey at a night game, and having that back. And that, that sort of interaction is important. People need that. We we have to have that. I would I would say we need it on a mental point of view. We also need it, and I, I ain't no scientist here, but I think we also need it with a, on a physical point of view. And I'm a firm believer that that we need to have these interactions with each other for our immune systems to make them stronger in the long run. And I, and I think science would back me up on that and there's a risk that comes with that we're seeing right. it with coronavirus yeah but but it's you know healthy people need to be out there with other healthy people hanging out shaking hands giving hugs and that sort of stuff i have no fear about that i have no and still don't the tricky part is how do you know who's healthy and who's not unless you're just well, self-contained so and then you think yeah you're right i you know i've never been worried about that in the past i guess am i going to be more worried about it now uh, well, maybe uh, you know I'll wear the mask around when I'm supposed to and when I'm told to at the places I need to and that sort of stuff. But I've not taken any sort of extreme precautions. You've always been an active guy, though, Ron. So whatever is happening in the world, you're still going to be out and about. Well, yeah, I went to the gym today. I, I go try to go to the gym every day to work out. There's people there working out. I like that sort of atmosphere. They don't have the saunas, jacuzzis, and the pools open. If they did, I'd go, I'd, I'd go there as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking like I'm some brave guy or something, that that's something remarkable because I'm not that. But at, at the same time, this is going to run its course and it's going to do what it's going to do. We can do our best to try to prevent it. And we are, I think, in, in most cases, and we, we're, we are trying to do that. But the damage that it's doing to people's lives, you do have to weigh that some point i believe so now i've gotten off the top of the sports well my no, well my question though i'm going to pick up from what you just said though what is the impact on sports aside from the human interaction which doesn't go on and the as you say people that need to get out and just be able to do stuff because it's good for their physical well-being as well as their mental well-being because people are social animals generally speaking there are, there are a minority of people that don't really want to interact with anybody and that's that's fine everybody's different but looking at it from the impact on sports itself, aside from the social implications, just the financial implications, you talked about how they still have to fulfill the TV contracts, but now they're in certain cases like the uh, Las Vegas Aviators, where they don't have TV contracts, so that whole year is ruined, in essence. Oh, no, it is. They'll never, it's something they'll never get back. For, and the people that worked at the stadium that around there, just revenue that they will never get back. 
the minor league ball players. Now the the major league baseball they, they expanded their rosters, which was good, but you still had minor leaguers who, unless they have a guaranteed contract, you know they're not getting paid for the season. And if you're somebody struggling to try to make your way up, and you're a single A or double A guy, I mean this could affect your career in a negative way. So there's all sorts, you know, there's all sorts of implications here. Depending on the league you're talking about, it could be football or baseball or basketball or hockey, whatever it is, do the the major leagues in these leagues, not necessarily, for example, the Aviators, but if Vegas Golden Knights, you know, we're talking about Los Angeles Dodgers, do, do they have a reserve fund, a rainy day fund for something they'd never expected? And this is certainly something you never expect. I don't, I don't know. Sorry, I'm going to answer your question. And the only way I know how is I don't know. I mean, I, I hope they do. They certainly should, and every team would be different, I think, on that one. Right. You but know, don't so, you think, though, that the league would require individual teams to have backup fund or emergency fund or rainy day fund? I've never seen that they have. I would imagine they do, but I, I'm not aware of it if they do. The, the Raiders would be the one team that would, have, would be hardest hit in that because what makes the Raiders unique here, when we're talking Las Vegas Raiders now, what makes them unique is, their ownership group, Mark Davis, Al Davis, when he was alive, all they owned was the Raiders. Now, that's pretty. That's a pretty good thing to own, so I'm not discounting that. But by comparison, Paul Allen, when he was alive, he owned Microsoft. And oh, by the way, just for fun, he bought the Seahawks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just just decided to go ahead and but, but just for fun. And so all of these guys, um, uh, Jerry Jones, very rich in insurance and real estate and all that sort of stuff. And oh, by the way, just for fun, buys the Cowboys. <laughs> the Rams, very successful businessman, and puts five billion dollars into new SoFi Stadium down there in Southern California, and buys the Rams. So pocket change, pocket change, Ron, pocket so change, hey, pocket change. But but the Raiders, all of their revenue comes from the football team and its success. They do revenue sharing in the NFL with the contract, the TV contract. Right. So no matter which market you in, you you are in. You get the same amount of money. So Green Bay gets the same as the two New York teams or the two L.A. teams. Vegas gets the same as Dallas or Chicago when it comes to TV revenue. But the concessions is going to be a hard hit. That's going to be a tough hit for these teams. And and I'll go here. I'm going to mention something with Vegas. And and you, you know this much better than I do, but the performers, the entertainers, the people that work in the casino industry here in Las Vegas, my heart just breaks for them each and every day of these great people that we both know here in this city that have been affected by this. Yes, very, and, very yeah, tough. Yeah, I just shake my head, hope we can get back sooner rather than later and that we can make this happen and get the city rolling again. Because this city, when it's at its best, boy, it's a fun place. When it's yeah, dark, no doubt about it. it's dark. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, it's been difficult to see that and the way that it's affected our friends lives and that's tough i've had many entertainers on talk about that purposely on the show to what the impact is what what they can do etc so yeah it's very tough let's take a break my guest veteran journalist ron futrell has been covering sports in las vegas for many years he's reported on the growth and challenges for both college and professional sports currently reports for klas tv here in las vegas you can follow ron on twitter at ron futrell which is f-u-t-r-e-l-l we'll be right back We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. 
There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with veteran journalist Ron Futrell. He's been covering sports in Las Vegas for many years. He's reported on the growth and challenges for both college and professional sports. He currently reports for KLAS-TV, and you can follow Ron on Twitter at Ron Futrell. And Ron, before I change the subject, though, Ryan, what you were talking about the entertainment industry, and really sports is part of that entertainment industry, but you're on point because there are a lot of live performance entertainers and backup crew and cast, et cetera, that are locally based, not just that perform here, but they live here. And it's tough because they're not getting any relief. And I've had a few people on the show, as I mentioned earlier, talking about this. I just wanted to throw in my two cents. But on a lighter note, I was watching hockey, and you can tell me, if, because you know, I even thought that they should have it, so I'm not against it. But are they not pumping in crowd noise to the hockey games? (laughs) <laughs> yes. yes, they are pumping in crowd noise. Thank you. I And I'm in favor of it. I know it's an illusion, but it really does get you pumped up. And you it, it combined with, with the visual of the players playing and, the, of course, the announcers who they're pumped up with excitement. So <laughs> my point is that that does seem to help. It could go either way. I thought when they first did it that people might say, well, wait a minute, there's nobody in the seats. So why are they doing that? But I think if they didn't do it, it would sound almost like a practice session rather than an actual game. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. They do. Everybody knows they're doing it. So after, after a while, what you do, though, when you're watching a game is you forget it. Exactly. That they're doing that. Exactly. And they also change, they also change the crowd noise depending on what happened. Like if it's a close play around the net, they'll elevate that. Right. You know, and they've also made sure to get the appropriate goal horn sounds and goal songs because each specific NHL team has a specific horn. When a goal is scored by the home team, that horn goes off and they play their goal song. Uh, The LA Kings, it's a freight train. It has been for years, that noise. And they could all tell you the people behind the scenes of specifically what that horn is and, and what it sounds like. It's got a name and a number or something like that. And the songs are songs that people would recognize. So they, they have all those. So they do put those on there so that when the home team or whatever, uh, what, yes, whatever the Vegas Golden Knights score and they're the home team, they're going to get their goal horn and they're going to get their goal song. And they're going to have that. So they've tried to make it as much as they could to sound like, to feel like home. I mean, it has to be sort of bizarre for the players to be going through this and to have that. But I, I'm going to guess their focus is so much especially in hockey, especially right, in hockey, right. your focus has to be so, that is such so a, much. That is such a fast game. I don't know how they do it, and you, it amazes me every time I watch a hockey game. It just it no, fascinates I have me. tremendous admiration for those athletes right. do you think and that, what they do. Ron, do you think they also pump that noise into the arena so that the, the players can get a sense of that too, the noise, the crowd noise? I don't think they – no, I think it's just during the broadcast. No, I, I don't – I've not heard anything – 
that that noise is actually in the arena. I think they should have that. That would, I think, also help the players as well. They're used to a noise level there. To feel like something, yeah, at least right. have, yeah, that's just a white noise, the sound. One, going well, in there. Yeah, one last thing on hockey is that even even though it's a manipulation, I support it. I think it's a positive manipulation. And I think what the viewers do is they suspend disbelief at a very early stage of the game. And then, as you say, they don't even notice it after a while. It's just part of the environment. There is a golf story related to this during the Masters one time when when they were pumping in the broad, the broadcast pumped in a certain sound of a, of certain birds. <laughs> and, and, and so I didn't know okay. about that. <laughs> yeah, oh no! If you Google this, you'll see it. And so, people at home who are who somebody at home who's a savvy bird listener and watcher heard these noises and said, "Wait a second! I know what that bird is. It's a double-tailed red finch, blah blah blah, or whatever." Right. And those are not indigenous to that area. Not in April during the Masters. And so they called out CBS on, on this when they did it. It's a rather famous case in, in sports, and CBS admitted that, oh, yeah, we just pumped in some, we were pumping in some fake bird noises, birds that weren't there, just because it sounded more appealing. And whoever did it, first of all, they apologized, said they'd never do it again. But they also admitted that, well, we should have we paid a little more attention to what the indigenous birds were during that time of year. <laughs> yeah, research. And if we would have put those <laughs> birds on there, nobody would have caught it. <laughs> but, but we weren't real careful. We just I grab, grab the soundtrack of birds number 12. Okay, <laughs> play that one. <laughs> no, we don't want the crows. I the crows. <laughs> no, there's not seagulls. No, no, no. But yeah. <laughs> it's all those little tricks. I, I don't know whether you could tell us, but you're the man who could if he knew. What do you think the impact on Las Vegas sports will be in the next couple of months until all of this goes away and we get back to a normal life? Well, the biggest impact is going to be on UNLV if they don't get to play football or, or basketball for that matter. And they're having a rough time financially anyway. And football doesn't has has not produced a profit for years. As long as you and I have been in town, football has not made money. It may have never made money, but when basketball was the king of the hill, basketball 30 years ago, basketball was making enough money so that all the sports could could survive financially. I mean, it really was that. It was one sport. And a lot of, a lot of college sports have that. University of Texas, their football team funds their entire sports program. So if they don't play football this year, they're in trouble fighting. The women's soccer team is in trouble. The, the water polo team, let's go down the list. You know, they're all going to be struggling. So I think UNLV is going to be hardest hit throughout this and w- without being able to get the TV revenue from the Mountain West if they don't play. I think college football is still up in the air. They're trying to get a few games. Right, n- right now, they're, they're not planning on playing. But that could change with time and it's still up in the air and the big 10 is revisiting right now what they're going to do the sec says they're going to try to play so all of those things i I, i'm going to go with unlv being hit the hardest with this they were looking forward to a new coach first season in the new stadium and that's not happening we mentioned the other professional teams in the beginning when i introduced you but What's your take on what's going to happen with the Las Vegas Aces and the Las Vegas Lights? Well, the Lights are still playing. They're doing well. They're trying, you know, they they even had a game that was on TV that they won against Orange County last week. 
So there's and Brett Lashbrook is doing a fine job to try to make that team work. But they're a team that also needs they need the revenue from people being at the games. There's there's a bubble down in Orlando that's the WNBA. So so the Aces are they're doing okay playing down there in the bubble. I mean nothing is the same. Nothing is as it was. Right. Or at least they're fulfilling. And I'm going to say the TV contract, but the W the WNBA doesn't pull a profit. They don't make money. They're subsidized by the NBA. And they and the NBA has chosen to do that for women's sports and bless them for for making that happen. But it's not it's not like if they don't play their games, they're not going to make money off their TV contract because they they really don't. Uh, they don't produce. Uh, they haven't made money. Let's put it that way. If you look, they're 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 a lost leader on the, on the financial output. But the NBA makes enough money that they can do that, and perhaps they're bargaining that someday they will be able to make a profit, but they're, they're doing okay in the bubble. They're hanging out there. Good. The, good. The NFL, I, I think what's sort of interesting is that they, that the NFL, the Raiders in this case, that they're working hard and I've gone through the process over there at their practice facility in Henderson to get tested where you go down there, you get the swab, you get tested, you got to do it for a few days in, in succession. Then you can go to practice and you can watch them work out and they're taking as much, from what I can tell, just looking at it, they're they're doing all the precautions. I mean, as much as you can in football, you got to hit somebody eventually, so you got to make contact. Right. But you you want to also be confident that the person you're hitting has tested negative. Right? Yes, indeed, I would hope so if and, I were playing in that. Yeah. So they've done that. I mean, they, they've done that in the NFL. I believe has been pretty good. It's, they had first week of testing that they announced. They had no positive tests this amongst players. This past week of testing, they said they were four positive tests. So, I mean, that's that's going. That still is, you know, that's that's pretty good when you consider the number of players out there. You got 70, 80 players out there right now for each team trying to make the team. So, so they, I think they've been fairly successful with that. Good. Before I let you go, I don't think I've ever asked you this question, but. I always joke about every time I see you in person, you always look the same. You, you never <laughs> age. But what is it about your beat that keeps you so passionate and enthusiastic about it? I love what I do. I mean, I really I just I I am living the dream in that sense is that I really feel like I'm, I'm having fun. Yes, there is pressure. There's deadlines. You have to meet those. You've got to perform. You've got to be successful. You've got, you've got to do all those things. But. I enjoy I enjoy doing it so that I I have a good time. I have a great wife that helps keep me young right with both of us absolutely okay? absolutely that's, that's a large part of it but you love and, what you do and you've always been enthusiastic about it and you've always been unafraid to report on not just the good uh, but also the bad and the ugly well we've had a little bit of that over the years here you know we had one of the stories I'll mention real quick, I mean, we had a UNLV athletic director that was using racial slurs in, in staff meetings. And I found out about it and got some sources together. And it was probably the most most frightened I've ever been at doing a story in the sense that I'm going like, wait a minute, if you're going to cast these allegations onto somebody, this was 1996, Charlie Cavanero was the athletic director. And and I went on, I was threatened by attorneys, the attorneys, you would know who they are here in town if I mentioned their names and the, and the and prominent attorney here in Vegas, who's a friend of mine, said, if you run the story, we're going to sue you. The station stood behind me, and the story was accurate. The following day, 
everybody else in the media followed. The RJ did a story, and they fo- followed the story that we had done. We ha- I had enough sources. I had one that went behind a screen, and, you know, not on camera, but at least gave his voice and said what this and, and he was using racial slurs and open staff meetings with 20 people in the meetings at times. Amazing. And I thought, well, that's pretty easy to prove now, okay? I, I, I know these people in these meetings, so I called up a half dozen of them. They all said, yeah. So that's enough for me, and these were people I trusted. And so went forward with the story. And, you know, so anyway, there are, there are rare moments like that where you do stories that need to be done. That was one, but I remember the feeling in my gut that night doing that story that I was still a little bit, you know, not tentative, but at least worried to make sure I got it all right and had everything together so that it didn't. And, of course, there was never a lawsuit. And shortly thereafter, the athletic director was gone. He was from Memphis. And so I, I used the line, send him back down to the South, you know, not here, not here in Vegas, not while I'm the sports guy here, those sort of things don't go. Not that I, again, not that I'm a big tough guy, but so there's been a few moments like that where I've had occasion to do things that are a little more serious than, you know, announcing, announcing the final score, but I think I've stepped up when I've had to. Right. And there's not that many that would do that. And that's why I wanted you to talk about it. I'm glad you did. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been veteran journalist Ron Futrell, who's stepping up and covering sports in Las Vegas for many years and has reported on the growth and challenges for both college and professional sports as well. He currently reports for KLAS-TV, and you can follow Ron on Twitter at Ron Futrell. And Ron, thanks again for being on the show. Ira, always my pleasure to chat with you, hang out with you, and uh... Even during the, especially during these times. Exactly. I appreciate it. Especially during these times. (laughs) See you next time. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.